1: to prayer this morning as a group would you just bow your head and silently pray as I lift up in prayer dear Heavenly Father we thank you for this opportunity to bring our request before you we rejoice that you hear our prayers however there are many times we do not know how to pray we feel our words are inadequate our thoughts distracted and our faith in doubt We find comfort in Jesus' words to his disciples when he instructed them, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us also our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to strengthen our faith this morning, that we may become prayer warriors, effective in prayer and using our gifts as you have given them to us. We join together to pray this in the name of your precious Son, who advocates in our behalf. And all of God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to James chapter 5. And oh, we are so close with the end of James. It's been a great letter. James chapter 5, titled this, The Power of Prayer. Tell you a story about George Mueller. George Mueller, as some of you may know, and if you have not read his biography, please read it. George Mueller was a man who lived in England, who gave his life to the Lord in his early to mid 20s, I believe, and wound up building many, many, many orphanages there in Britain, and was a great, great preacher and a great prayer warrior. And we're going to be using him this morning. Because when you think of prayer, you're going to think George Mueller. Uh, They go hand in hand. Charles Inglis, the well-known, this is not, by the way, this is not the guy from Little House on a Prairie. So, But the well-known evangelist relates the following remarkable incident. Listen to this story. This is a true story. When I first came to America 31 years ago, this is the, the Charles English, the, uh, the well-known evangelist. He said, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the world's most devoted men I ever knew. And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. English, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened that has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. But we had a man of God on board, a man named George Mueller of Bristol. I had been on that bridge for 22 hours, and I never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder, and it was George Mueller. Captain, he said, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. Well, this was Wednesday, and it was impossible, I said. Very well, George Mueller replied, if your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. I replied, I would be willing to help you, but how can I? I am helpless. Well, Let us go down to the chart room and pray, George Mueller said. And I looked at this man and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could the man have come from? I have never heard of such a thing Mr. Mueller I said do you not know how dense this fog is no he replied my eye is not on the density of the fog but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life and he went down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers and I thought to myself that would suit a children's class where children were not more than eight or nine years of age the burden of his prayer was something like this. Oh Lord, if it is consistent with your will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec for Saturday, and I believe that that is your will. When he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand, now listen to this, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, he said, you do not believe God will do it. And second, I believe he has done it. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him and George Mueller said this, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door and you will find the fog is gone. I got up. And the fog was gone. And on Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec. Have you ever desired that type of confidence in your prayer? Have you found yourself in a situation or circumstance where the only hope is prayer? But you found yourself doubting? Or is prayer the last resort in your thinking? In today's passage, James writes to his readers of the power of prayer, especially those who are undergoing suffering and many types of oppression. Let's read that passage in James chapter 5, 13 through 18. James continues to write to the Jewish believers when he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Father, I find myself in the situation in which I believe in prayer, I believe in the power of prayer, but many times it does not show in my life. Father, I yearn for the confidence and the strength and the power of a George Mueller, of Elijah. I believe many of us would. And I believe that power is there for those who believe and trust in you. And we thank you for prayer. So I pray, Lord, today that you will just encourage us, exhort us, and strengthen us, and direct our hearts to this wonderful gift of prayer that you've given us. Lord, that we may honor and glorify you. We pray this in your name. Amen. At times this can be a difficult passage as many people get caught up with questions of faith healing or anointing with oil or the confession of sins to each other. And all of these bring up good questions and good debates. But what we must not forget, what you and I must remember, that the main point of this passage is prayer. Prayer is important, powerful tool that every believer can utilize. I remember growing up and we would have prayer all the time in our church. And there were certain people that we would call prayer warriors. There were people in our church that we know that, boy, if we gave this person a prayer request, they had some type of faith or some type of powerful juju, you know, in which it was going to happen. And that's what we think. And I think, oh boy, I'd love to be like this prayer warrior. But what I'm sharing with you is that every ordinary believer in God can be a prayer warrior. And what I want to challenge you today as we look at prayer is prayer many times is the missing ingredient in our lives for Christian living, for victorious Christian living, and missing in the church. Because prayer is not as effective as it should be. I ask the question what is prayer and I'm just going to question 109 in the Baptist catechism ask that what is prayer and it answers simply with prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgment of his mercies which similar is from what Paul says in Philippians when he says the Lord is at hand Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And there were a lot of requests and things that this church, these Jewish believers needed as they were facing many things apart from their homeland. And so what we're going to look at this morning is four reasons, four reasons that you and I should pray. Four reasons that the Jewish believers are to pray. And as we see, it goes for us today. So let's just go right into it. The first one we're going to find in, in verse, the first part of 13, is James says they need to pray for suffering. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The answer to suffering is always prayer. There may be more to it, but the initial thing that you and I ought to always gather the tool that God has given us is prayer these Jewish believers were living under some of the most oppression that many other people face persecution economic and social discrimination and the effects of sin in their own lives James knowing what they were going through wrote in James chapter 1 verse 2 remember what he writes Count it all joy, my brothers, when you find yourselves in various trials and sufferings. Now tell me, how does one do that? How does one find joy when you're in persecution and oppression? Some of you are, are facing that today. And let me ask, how are you facing it? Is prayer one of those tools? Or is you like many people that many times prayer is our last resort? The Bible says that we need to pray when suffering comes. If it was with me, I would be praying for deliverance and vengeance. However, God has a different view. When He says praying for suffering, when He says praying for these types of things, they are to pray for endurance, not not, uh, uh, necessarily removal. And you find that many times, Lord, just take this away from me. I remember counseling one person one time and we we prayed for a long time that that God would just take this thing out of their life, this struggle, this thing that was creating problems in their lives and it was preventing them from enjoying and being involved in many, many things. And eventually we come with no answer. How frustrating. And we come to doubt God many times in those things, but then Scripture gives us Encouragement is that many times God does not remove things. God calls for us to endure things. James had written in chapter 1, verse 3-4, through he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And so, in here when we're suffering... We're to pray. Now, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that God would just remove it, as it says, Lead me not in temptation, deliver me from the evil one. But really, many times our prayer needs to be, Lord, if you remove it of your will, but if not, Lord, help me endure this suffering. What are you going through this morning? What type of suffering are you going through? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's something in your marriage. Maybe it's fiscal, financial. God says, He'll give you the strength to endure through it. He writes in chapter 5, verse 11 of James, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. So how do you and I endure, be patient, and remain steadfast until the coming of Christ? When our life seems to be overbearing, when life is just crushing us? Pray. If any of you are suffering... Let them pray. David promises us in Psalms chapter 10. He says, O Lord, you hear the desires of your afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. And you will incline your ear. And the apostle promises in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we're to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. George Mueller writes to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. He writes, I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you say, I would like to have more faith. I want stronger faith. It's very simple. Then we pray. We pray that we're able to endure. Like the tree that is just bent by the wind, but never torn out. We need to be in that way. God gives us the strength to endure these things. Let me tell you, if you're struggling today, if there's suffering in your life, then your only answer is to pray for endurance, to pray for the strength to be steadfast. Then he goes on the second side of the second part of that verse. It says, not only do we pray when we're suffering, but we're also to be a prayer of rejoicing. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let Him what? Let Him sing praise. The Greek word translated cheerful here means to have a peace of mind. Even in tribulation, even during persecution, even during all the midst of oppression, you and I can have peace. We see that later in Paul's writing where he says that we can have a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Our response should always be to sing songs of praise to God. And even in our songs of praise, their prayer, it's communication with God. It's speaking to Him of His worth. Philippians 4.4 commands us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Does anyone know the rest of it? And again I say rejoice. Wonderful little song about that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So there are times in the midst of suffering, you may be suffering and your spirit may be down, then pray. But then there's also times when life may be good, well then praise God. And then the song says, Lord, giveth, the Lord taketh away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. God calls us to pray in all manners of life, in every season of life. And then he says in verses 14 and 50, the third third reason we're to pray, is we're to pray for we're to prayer for sickness. It's the prayer for sickness. Look at verse 14. He says, "Is any among, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church." Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What a wonderful promise is found in these passages. Sick here means to be weak. In all types of circumstances, it could be physically weak, it could be spiritually weak, mentally or emotional weak. It means to be weak. This is the, the usual interpretation is that of physical sickness, but it also can mean spiritual weakness that you're struggling with. And I tend to take that a little bit more in, in just in the, in the realm of it. You see, there's power in having others pray with and for you. So if you're struggling with some type of sickness, some type of weakness, what he's calling for is prayer. Now the first one, the first two really was praying for yourself. But in here we see a weakness, a sickness that is so overwhelming that praying for yourself seems not as powerful. That's why I kind of think sometimes it's more spiritual because he's not saying pray for yourself. This is a weakness in which you say, you know what? I need to call in the dream team. I need to call in the super friends, so to speak. I need to call in the elders. And then he says, let them call the elders for the church and let them pray over. He needs more help, more faith in what he has in himself. I want to jump into talking about the anointing with oil. Everyone gets... All these types of things. Well, what is this anointment with oil? And in many churches, in many denominations, and many have interpreted many different ways. But typically, in the first century, anointing with oil was a medical remedy. They would take it and they would rub it over the body. And many times, it was one of those things that they would think that would you know get the pores and everything like that. So it can mean as you're praying is to anoint him and rub the oil in as you're praying, giving credence. Well, if it's a sickness, a physical sickness, that may be helpful. To others, they mean it to more of a spiritual symbol of something, of recognizing that the Holy Spirit must come and do a work. Dr. Douglas Moe, a professor, writes that anointing with oil is like a physical action that's symbolizing consecration. And that's where many of you may see in movies or if you're Catholic persuasion or those where you'll, you'll have like the little anointing oil and some will take it and they'll make the sign of the cross on the forehead or something of that. And so he says that there was some type of first century significance to coming and anointing with oil. There's no magical powers or anything special within that oil, you can anoint with oil or you may not anoint with oil. What it's really speaking of is coming and recognizing that there's a spiritual component to there. There's a consecration to it as we come and we pray for a brother or sister in Christ that finding themselves to be weak and needing others to come and pray for them. In verse 15, we see the impetus is, is on faith. But here's where I say it's not the faith of the one who's being prayed over, but it's the faith of the elders is the one who needs to be strengthened. James had written previously in chapter 1. Turn back to James chapter 1 if you would. Look at verse 6. In James chapter 1 verse 6. Look at that if you would with me real quickly. James writes to them, but let him ask in faith when he speaks of of wanting more wisdom. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. For someone who is weak, their mind many times may be unstable. They are doubting, hence why they're saying, we need more to pray for us, more people. Elders are men that are appointed by God in the church to preach and teach and oversee the spiritual well-being of the church. They are to be men of faith, acknowledging that in their prayers that it's God's will is supreme, and that's how you and I pray. Elders are commanded in 1 Thessalonians to admonish the idol, encourage the fainthearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with them all. So what we see here is someone who is weak who finds themselves not strong in their faith to pray for themselves, or they don't see a peace in that, and say, I need something else. And let me tell you, we as an elders, we would love to pray for you. We'll take time after the service. We'll take time to come to your home and pray for you. There will be times in your life that you will need other prayer warriors to come and join with you. You will need the power of a community to join with you and pray in faith. There's nothing wrong with that. When James writes that if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, he is recognizing that sickness gives time for reflection and time to determine whether the illness is related to sin. Now, I don't want to make the connection that if someone is sick, or someone has trouble in their life, that it must be because of a sin. But many times, Scripture tells us that they are related to one another. And so that time is given for you to to say, is this something? Is God chastening me as a child of God? And God has given the elders and leaders in the church to help give them, or to give help with remaining steadfast while we're waiting in a cursed world that's filled with sickness and sin. And here the God has given to the church two elders at this point, Randy and I. He's also preparing other men, and we're praying that more of you men, that God will call and appoint as elders. But you need to pray for us elders. You need to involve us in your life. Many times I think the problem is, is that so many of us are so prideful, is that we don't want others to know when we're struggling. We don't want others to know when they're suffering, when they're sick, or when there's a a problem in the marriage, or problem in their finances, or problem at home. But let me tell you, God has called us to do life together. And there are going to be times when your faith will not be strong. God has given you the elders to help you come in and to strengthen you in praying over you. And then the fourth one is the prayer for times of peace. Prayer for times in peace. And that's in verse 16, the second part of verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And as you can see, we first see that we're praying for ourselves in suffering. And then we see, well, there are going to be times when then we need elders to come in and we need more help. But then as we see here, now the whole church is involved. And they're praying for times of peace. Instead of sins of speech that we've seen in James that they were struggling with, they should confess their sins and trespasses against each other and pray for forgiveness Instead of the division, the anger, the bitterness, and the resentment that many times defines the local church, they should seek for relationships to be healed. But this type of confession is going to require honesty, humility, and grace. You see, we need to become a, a praying church, and where we're not just praying for each other, but we're praying to each other, we're coming together. Not praying to each other, but coming together and restoring relationships. How many times has a church been split, splintered, because they would not confess and deal with reconciliation? Even here in James, there's no peace in the house of God. Let it not be said of OBC. Let us be a church in where we're confessing and praying for each other. Now let me say a matter of point of this. This does not mean that you come to church and you just lay it all bare. It doesn't come that you out come out and just vomit all of your sins out to someone else. That's not what he's saying here. What he's talking about is those times in which you have not forgiven. Those times that you have been angered. Sometimes, maybe even to the point of, hey, here's a spiritual sin that I've been struggling with, or sin that I've been struggling with, and I need your help in praying together. It's accountability. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught into transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so there are going to be times, just in times of discipline, there's going to be times where we need to just pray and encourage each other. And Maybe you're in one of those times now. And let me tell you, that's the importance of small groups in interaction with each other. For it's in a small group that we get to know each other, that we get to become comfortable with each other, that we get willing to say, you know what, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling in this area. Hey, I'm having a hard time forgiving my spouse or my husband. Can you just pray for me? Hey, I'm struggling with, with my finances. Could you pray for me? Or I'm struggling with my children. Or Man, I've just got resentment and bitterness against my father. Can you help me pray for that? You see, there's more power when there's more numbers and each of us are praying for each other. But I do want to give you a caution. This prayer of faith that we're reading about is not advocating the name it, claim it, deception of the false prosperity gospel. Praying to God demonstrates our dependence on Him. It humbles us as we realize that you and I do not have the power within ourselves to change our circumstances and situations, it drives us to rely on God's goodness and grace. It's like you and I are George Mueller and the fog is so thick, but you hear what he says? He says, My eyes are not on the density of the fog, but my intention is on the goodness of my God. Can that be said of you? So many of us are just struggling flailing wildly in the fog, not once calming our hearts and minds and maybe just closing our eyes to all that's around us and that's just keeping us distracted and say, Lord, you are bigger than this fog. God says pray for yourself. Bring in the elders and then bring in the church. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Admonish one another says to pray. Why? Because your faith will be strengthened. I want to give you three things in here as we come into application. So then how do I pray? Whether it's for myself or as an elder. How as an elder why do I pray for each other? How do I pray for, for each other when we're in a small group or when someone comes? How do we pray? I want to give you three things and these are important. This is not the only three but I want to give you three that you can take away today and you can apply it in your lives. And the first one And the first one, this is so important. You need to pray according to the Word of God. You need to pray according to the Word of God. When we pray, we are taught to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God's will is found in the Scriptures. If you're saying, well, what's God's will for my life? It's found in Scripture. Pastor Sinclair uh, Ferguson writes, ask God to accomplish what He has promised in His Word. He also says that a prayer of faith is trusting in God's Word. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to grab a hold of the promises of God. That's why the Psalms is so wonderful, because you'll see David praying when he's sick. You see when he's suffering through oppression and persecution. You see him when his faith is weak. You see him praying when his son dethrones him. You see him praising God when he's cheerful. These are the things that you and I ought to do. Many times in my pastor's prayer, you'll see that I take scripture. Why? Because I believe that's the most powerful word that there is. And I take God's word and and we read it back to him. I believe God loves to hear his word repeated back to him. R.A. Torrey writes this concerning George Mueller. He says, one of the mightiest men of prayer of the last generation was George Mueller, who in the last 60 years of his life obtained the English equivalent of $7,200,000,000 by prayer. But George Mueller never prayed for a thing just because he wanted it or even just because he felt it was greatly needed for God's work. When it was laid upon his heart to pray anything, he would search the scriptures to find if there was such a promise that covered the case. Sometimes he would search the scriptures for days before he presented his petition to God. And then when he found the promise with his open Bible before him and his finger upon that promise, he would plead that promise. And so he received what he asked. He always prayed with an open Bible before him. You want effective, powerful prayer? Then pray God's word. And you say, well, how does that help me if I'm praying just for food? Well, go to Matthew chapter 6. He says, take no thought what you'll eat. Take no thought what you'll drink. Take no thought about what you will wear. For does not your Father clothe the the trees and the grass? Will He not give you everything that you need? See, everything that you would need to pray for. You see, what about I'm praying for a wife? What about a husband or a wife? Scripture again says, be not unequally yoked, but pray for one who will be of one mind. How can two walk together lest, lest they agree? And there's so many other scriptures that could come to play. George Mueller himself said, The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. And to be honest, that's where I feel many ways the prosperity gospel falls short. There's so much about the Spirit that they throw the Word out. If the whole, I say, I lay, I lay myself to great delusions. If the Holy Spirit guides us all, he will do it according to the scriptures and never contrary to them. We need to pray according to the word of God. That's why Jesus says your prayers aren't being answered, because you ask amiss. You ask because of the passions of your flesh. So pray according to the word of God. So that means you and I need to do the difficult work and the hard work of getting into God's Word. Find out what His promises are. And that's what I would encourage you. When you're reading your devotions, find out, what is there any command of God? Is there any promise of God? Is there any expectation of God? These are the things that you and I are to dwell on and to bring in our lives. The second thing is we need to pray with confidence. We need to pray with confidence 1 John chapter 5 says, This is confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Or in the Gospel of John, when he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, let me bring you to George Mueller. One night, Samuel Chadwick. In his book called The Path of Prayer relates an occasion when Dr. A.T. Pearson was a guest of George Mueller at his orphanage. And he writes, one night when all the household had retired, Mueller had asked Pearson to join him in prayer. And he says, why should we pray? He says, well, there's absolutely nothing in the house for next morning's breakfast. The cupboards are bare. I do not know what we're going to feed the children tomorrow. He says, my friend tried to remonstrate with him and to remind him that all the stores were closed. Why should we pray? We we can't get the money now. And even if we had the money, the stores are closed. We can't even go out and beg. Mueller knew all that, he writes, but he prayed as he always prayed. And he never told anyone of his needs but God. They prayed, at least Mueller did, and Pearson tried to. They went to bed and slept afterwards, and breakfast for 2,000 children were there when they woke in abundance at the usual breakfast hour. To pray to go to bed, to wake up, to find enough breakfast for 2,000 children. Neither Mueller nor Pearson ever knew how that answer to prayer ever came to be. The story was told the next morning that Simon Short of Bristol, under the pledge of secrecy until the benefactor died, said the details of it are thrilling, but all that need to be told is that in the middle of the night, God sent him to send breakfast to the Mueller orphanage, knowing nothing of the need or that the two men were prayer, and he sent provisions that would feed them for a month. She so prayed with confidence. This is a man who had thousands of children under his care. And I can tell you, if you read his biography, you will find time and time again, I remember one story in the book where they had run out of meal, that time, you know, kind of cornmeal to make bread and the things of food. And the maids came to him or the cook came and says, we're all out of, we have nothing to feed the children for dinner. What should we do? And Mueller replied simply, go to the kitchen Take what we have, see what you can do, and begin to set the tables. Well, we have no food. Set the table for the children, and I'll be back by dinner time. Mueller went up to his office, got on his knees and began to pray. Got down to the table, sat down with the children. All the setting places were out, but there was no food. What do you think Mueller began to do? He said, all right, children, let's pray for what God has provided. There's nothing there. Great story. You have to read it. Only to hear a knock at the door at the end of their prayer. Open it to find no one there but several bags of food. Enough to feed the children at that time. Many times, the reason we're not effective in our praying because you and I are not praying with confidence. It's like your children coming to you and saying, I know you're going to say no, but can I? You ever heard that from your children? What are they going to say? You're going to say what? No. But you and I need to come before our Heavenly Father with confidence. Confidence with a trust that He's going to answer it. Then thirdly, we need to pray with persistence. Pray with persistence. We've already read the parable of the persistent woman in Luke chapter 18. And as we hear that, the judge only gave in because the woman continued to bother him. Persistence, persistence, persistence. You and I know that when our children persistently bother us, we eventually what? Give in. Well, God is not necessarily the unrighteous king or judge, but he says, but will not God give justice to elect who cry to him day and night? And see, you and I pray once, twice, three times. If we don't get our answer, then we're ready to skedaddle. God says you need to continually come to him. George Mueller writes, be assured, if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. The problem is, is many of us never really truly expect anything from God. All we're doing is we're saying some words and so we can do our duty and then we try then to solve the problem ourselves. Let me ask, do you expect God to truly work? Do you pray expecting him to answer? And when he doesn't, do you not come up and say, listen, Father, I'm praying your word. This is not of my passions, but I believe this is true. Can you not help me? The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we need to pray according to Scripture. We need to pray with confidence, and we need to pray persistently. Why? Because that's the faith that remains steadfast. But I want to go back to verse 16, for I skipped a part on purpose. Because sometimes you and I still struggle in our prayer lives. We are not finding the power that we feel should be there. We find ourselves frustrated. We find ourselves doubting. We feel ourselves weakened by the world. And that's because there is a qualifier to prayer. And it's in verse 16, James chapter 5, verse 16. Look at the second part of that verse. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalms tells us He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. What we're seeing here is righteous is speaking of a Christian, not a super saint. So who has the power? It's those who are righteous. It's those who have repented of their dead works and now are trusting in the works of Christ. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson, again, writes that true prayer cannot be divorced from real holiness. This holiness does not come from within us or from our good works, but itself is a gift from God. And many times our prayers are hindered because we are not living holy lives. We're living like degenerates, like we're no longer children of God. And we're demanding from God instead of coming to Him as our Father. John Flavel who was an old church father writes that Christ is so in love with holiness that at the price of his blood he will buy it for us. So when it speaks of the righteous person has great prayer, that is not some super Christian. He's speaking of the normal ordinary Christian one whose holiness is not something that he has clothed himself with, but bought by the blood of Christ and given to us as a gift. It's not that we're super spiritual, have greatness within us, but rather James is pointing out that that righteous person who has great faith that is working is the normal, ordinary servant of God, the one who has access to the one who is extraordinary, powerful the one true God look at verses 17 and 18 as he gives us an illustration and this is very important because again when you and I read the Old Testament and we read people like Samuel David Joseph Elisha we think of them as some type of marvel characters they're like super Christians right that's not what the Bible says They were people with foibles and doubts. In this passage that he's writing about Elijah, if you were to go back, you would see that he has victory and then he has a time of weakness in this great power that he has. But he's an ordinary person. Look what he says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave um, the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now I'm not going to go through this all that passage. You can go back, but what you'll see is that he prayed according to God's word. He says, "Pray that it will not rain." So Elijah did. He prayed with confidence, and he prayed persistently that it not rain. And when God says, "Now I'm going to let the the earth open up," pray for that. He prayed according to God's word with confidence and persistence. You see, the power isn't in our words or our actions, but it's in our trust in the goodness of God towards His children. Remember, He says, I already know what you need, and I'm ready to give it to you. Just ask. Pray when you're in suffering. Pray when you're in good mind, peace of mind. Pray when you're in sickness, whether it's physical or or spiritual. Pray for confession of each other and forgiveness and healing. It's not in our actions, it's not, but in our trust. George Mueller, once again, let me say this last line from him. He writes that faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Since you and I recognize that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That includes you and I. Let us be men and women of God that are pursuing God's kingdom with all that we have, living out the righteousness and holiness that He's called us to, by invoking God's word, God's confidence, and the persistence in praying for those things that we may be healed, that we may be strengthened, and that we may be encouraged. I'm going to ask if you would just close your eyes and bow your head. And I'd like for you just to take a moment of reflection, of confession, and of commitment and to respond what God may be calling you to do this morning in lieu of God's word of the power of prayer. Father, I confess that many times my prayer life, though constant, has not been as powerful and as effective as it should. And I pray that there's probably many that would join me in saying that. We'd ask for your forgiveness. And We'd ask for your strength to realize the power of prayer. For your providence and our prayers work together to accomplish your will. We are involved in the storyline of not only God's word, but in history and in the present and the now and his future uh, presents itself and unfolds. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us to pray in a way that's pleasing to you. And may you be glorified in those prayers. In your name we do pray. God's people said, Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org.